a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars Lost Tribe of the Sith Number 7 Pantheon By John Jackson Miller Read by Decade Bird Publishing Chapter 1 3000 BBY Time is a lover, the old saying went, a Sith lover. She tempts you with forever, and then cuts you and leaves you for dead. Staring into the reflecting pool, Varna Hilt studded the latest scar from time, his one and only long-term relationship. No, he couldn't blame this on a trick of the light, or the polluted water. It was real. A fresh crack ran straight from his left eye to his temple. Turning his head and looking more closely, he swore. Why wasn't there at least a matching wrinkle on the other side? Time wasn't big on symmetry. Hiltz was well on his way to becoming the most worthless construct in all creation, an elder in a Sith society. It was the great irony of the tribe on Kesh. A man without enemies lived long, but had no future. By virtue of his unique calling, Hiltz had managed to survive decades of tumult, but for what? So he could spend thirty more years walking past the same basin, observing his decline every day on his way to work. Well, traditions are important, Hiltz thought. Kneeling over the reflection, he brought his hand to his face and squinted. Slowly, his finger traced the new crevasse. Ancient stone shattered. Startled, Hiltz looked up. High above, a section of Tarv's suspended aqueduct heaved and gave way, shearing loose from its towering support. Caretaker! Before Hiltz could fully stand, a purple blur appeared from the alley. The Keshiri male dived headlong into Hiltz's paunch, knocking the human backward. Giant slabs of stonework smashed to the street, pulverizing the rim of the basin where Hiltz had knelt moments before. Flat on his back on the pavement, Hiltz reached through the force and deflected chunks of debris from himself and his rescuer. But no power could stop the crush of brackish water cascading down from the shattered sluice. The Keshiri shielded Hiltz as best he could until the shower of water and rock subsided. Coughing, Hiltz recognized his savior. Trying to score points with the boss, Jay? As he spoke, he rose, shaking grimy water from his sparse silvery hair. I, I'm sorry for pushing you, Master Hiltz. The Keshiri stammered. I was passing this way. Calm down. Hiltz knew it was a useless instruction, even though Jay was officially his to command. The moon-faced native had no more chance of relaxing than Hiltz had of becoming Grand Lord. Just a normal day in the Crown of Kesh. It's the conjunction. Jay said, wiping his superior's cape. Nervous black eyes scanned the now-broken skyline of the capital city. The omen I've been telling you about. And telling me. And telling me. Hiltz spied a crowd of humans quarreling near the fallen aqueduct section. Pinning blame, it seemed, was Tarv's only growth industry. He pulled his aide's sleeve. Let's get to the office before someone decides we brought it down by breathing heavily. In an earlier day, Sith on Kesh bided their time to achieve power, temporarily following others in order to one day claim the prize. For most in that simpler era, Yaru Korsin's power structure of high lords, lords, and sabers worked as a means to an end. The hierarchy survived because it served the purposes of enough people, 
people with the power to defend the system against those who would destroy it. For more than a thousand years after the founder's death, the tribe had thrived. But the second millennium brought unrelenting tribulations. Grand Lord Lilia Venn had vanished more than 900 years earlier on what the Keshiri locals remembered, rather ineloquently, as the night of the upside-down meteor. It had certainly presaged doom for Omen's grandchildren. Learning of her disappearance, Venn's rivals attacked her supporters first, and then one another. Defeated combatants quit the capital city and took to the hinterlands, where many found common cause with disenfranchised human slaves. Increasing numbers of Sith pressed peace-loving Keshiri into their forces. For centuries, factions united long enough to conquer Tav and slay the ruling Grand Lord, only to immediately begin fighting among themselves. One rebel force became two, which became twenty. Power in the tribe poisoned whoever tasted it. A quarter century earlier, Hiltz had famously coined the term for the age, but it hadn't required much imagination. The time of the rot was visible everywhere. Under successive sieges, the rich streets of Tav decayed. Left untended, towering aqueducts clogged and overflowed, the morning's calamity was an all-too-familiar occurrence. Far to the south, the Sisel Spire raged as it never had in Keshiri memory, unleashing an explosion so thunderous that one face of the great arena, the Corsinata, collapsed. It was as if the planet itself were fighting back against its emigres from beyond. But nestled in a small corner of the eroding marble of the Capitol building, one place had remained free of neglect, the office of the caretaker. Amid all the battles between Grand Lords and Antilords, only it had remained untouched. It wasn't because the Sith had any fear of sacrilege. Varna Hiltz's office, outside the traditional power structure, had been established in Nida Korsin's time to provide the tribe with accurate timekeeping and a historical archive. It was a lifetime appointment in part because so few candidates were interested. No one desired the caretaker's lot, his only followers were a roomful of Keshiri clerks and suited for service in anyone's army. Not that Hiltz was ever actually in demand. A historical polymouth, he had been told early on that with his lightsaber skills, he need never worry about a treacherous ally. No one would dare stand near him for fear of accidental dismemberment. Stepping from the anteroom into the beaders' hall, Hiltz again heard the clickety-clack that had greeted him for half his life. Seated on their knees in a semicircle, brown-clad Keshiri worked at hand-held counting frames constructed from seashells and young hijabo shoots. Hiltz discarded his dripping cape and strode through the room, barely wondering what they were working on today. Jay kept the figures busy most of the time, calculating dates to go along with the bits of trivia Hiltz scraped from the archives. He'd often marveled at their precision. For a species that lacked basic mathematics when Omen crashed, the Keshiri had embraced calculation as vigorously as they had all their other arts. Grabbing an abacus from a co-worker, Jay followed Hiltz into the sunlit atrium. Centuries before, the first Grand Lord, Yaru Korsin, had watched his nephew Jariad dueling here, knowing even then, Hiltz suspected, that Jariad was planning to betray him. Now the sandpipes dominated the room. Silently tended by watchful tan-clad Keshiri girls, the towering network of powder-filled glass vials kept time for the tribe. As if time could be bottled up, Hiltz thought, scratching the side of his face. I want to be able to see my reflection in those pipes, he ordered. I don't have to tell you what a big day we have coming up. He didn't. The workers shined the massive device more urgently, careful not to interfere with its functioning. 
For the first time in their young lives, visitors were coming to their place of work. No grand lord or pretender had lived in the palace for 600 years, Corsin's architects had designed for beauty, not defense. Testament Day was the only time the building saw visitors. Every 25 years, on the anniversary of Corsin's death, listeners heard his final testament again. Fifty years earlier, Hiltz had been a boy, not allowed into the palace, but the idea of communing with the past had captured his imagination. Through study and toil, he had made certain that, when the next testament day arrived, he would be the one to manage the event. Now, like a comet, the day had come around yet again. But the palace today was a much shabbier place, beyond his resources to repair. Glancing at the cracks in the smoked glass windows in the ceiling, Hiltz just couldn't get excited. Jay didn't have that problem. They've confirmed it, caretaker. My calculations about the sandpipes. Aren't important right now, Hiltz said, unless you intend to grab a cloth and help clean them. He regarded the young women at their work. At least some parts of the room would look good. We've got 12 days. We'll be ready. The clerk bit his lip. Can we really be ready? This, this is a mystical convergence. No, a holy one. Hiltz rolled his eyes. Jay didn't just love his numbers, he feared them, too. This year was a first for the tribe. Testament Day wasn't the only such memorial, and Yaru wasn't the only Corsin. Daughter Nida had reigned for a record 79 years after her father, and her elevation to Grand Lord was commemorated with a month-long festival on the grounds outside the palace every 79 years. Even Hiltz hadn't been around for the last one. Don't you see, caretaker? It's been 1,975 years since Grand Lord Corsin transcended this existence and Nidar succeeded him, and that's 79 times 25. This is the first time Testament Day and Nidar's rise have ever fallen in the same year. The first time, ever. Ever? Hiltz clutched his pale purple companion by the shoulders in mock seriousness, causing Jay to drop his counting frame to the stone floor. So what you're telling me, is that we'll save on wine this time? Hiltz released Jay and slapped his cheek lightly. We don't need any more omens, Jay. We've got one, up on the mountain, remember? And no one's allowed inside that. Hiltz walked toward his private office, leaving his aide to stare blankly at the abacus. But, caretaker. Overreacting, Jay? But what about what I learned about the sandpipes? Don't start that again. Hilt stepped into his office and looked with relief at his chair. Yes, that was the answer. After a morning like this, it would be a relief to sit in silence and drink some. Voices rose outside in the atrium. Slamming his half-filled glass down to the desk in disgust, Hilt yelled over his shoulder at the commotion. Jay, I told you to quiet down. That's funny. Responded a husky female voice. I just told him the same thing. Hiltz turned to see a black-clad woman in her late twenties, holding a gleaming red lightsaber just beneath Jay's neck. Golden eyes alive with dark intelligence, she spoke. We have to talk, caretaker, and I hate being interrupted. She stood a full two meters, easily taller than Hiltz. Bright red hair, neatly coiffed, flawless pink skin. She would have fared well in Sela Corson's inspections, centuries before, Hiltz thought. And that was the whole point. 
the intruder led Hiltz back to the atrium, where he saw half a dozen similarly clad women, all perfect specimens of humanity themselves, threatening the huddled workers with lightsabers. She spoke again. Of course, you know me. Only by reputation, he said, throat sandy. He'd never gotten to taste his drink. I don't get out much. I can see that. The woman smiled primly and deactivated her lightsaber. Ileana Marco. And these are my fellow sisters of Sila. I don't think Sila Corsin had any sisters, Hilt said, regarding the beauties guarding his Kashiri. Sisters in spirit. Ileana strode confidently ahead, crushing Jay's abacus underfoot as she did. The mathematician was with the others, now, prone on the floor but safe. Boot heels clacking against the marble, Ileana surveyed the glass statues lining the atrium. All depicted either Yaru or Nidao Korsin. Ileana didn't look pleased. Sorry, Hilt said. They took out the sealer statues after, after what happened, years ago. He assumed she knew about the failed coup Sila had plotted with Jariad against her husband, Yaru. To members of Ileana's faction, it was like yesterday. I don't think they kept any sealer pieces at all. I'm not surprised. No one gave Our Lady the respect she deserved. She founded the tribe, you know, not these traitors. Glaring at a glass representation of Yaru Corsin, Ileana's expression melted to puzzlement. Did he really look like that? Back then, the Keshiri sculptors were still figuring out how to get human eyes right. Hiltz cautiously stepped toward her. The woman didn't seem to be in any hurry, and he chose to think that boded well for his survival. But then, it wasn't as if she was going to be interrupted. Whoever came here? You know why I'm here. She said, facing him. The testament won't be read for twelve days yet. Why are you here now? She stepped briskly toward him. We have to talk about what Corson's testament says. Before the others arrive. Hiltz couldn't help but laugh. You know what the testament says. Everyone does. It's been transcribed so many times. Ileana charged forward. Igniting her lightsaber and waving the tip just under the caretaker's hairy chin. Of course we know. But this is different. This testament day, this reading, somehow, it's become a conclave. His eyes narrowed. The Pantheon's peace. Exactly. It suddenly made sense to Hilts. For centuries, Testament Day and the reading had been the one time that the tribe's entire hierarchy met peaceably under one roof, that of the palace atrium, to hear their late founder's words spoken. Even after the Sith splintered, deference to the great leaders of the past had been enough to bring the various faction leaders together at one time. No one dared make the meeting an opportunity for mayhem, some now regarded Corsin almost as a magical being, able to influence events from beyond the grave. Their forebears had walked in the stars. All my rivals will be here. Ileana said, still threatening with the lightsaber. Some believe that in the testament, they'll hear support for their cause and endorsement from a dead man. She looked back up at the statue and sneered. Well, we all know what it is, a boring old speech rewarding his allies for helping him thwart Sela. Hilt swallowed. No, Ileana and her allies wouldn't find much to like in Corsin's dying speech. The leader had only mentioned Sela to banish her. 
Some of the other groups might find some support for their own claims to power in Corsin's words, but the sisters wouldn't. That's why, old man, I want you to change what's in the testament. Ileana closed the remaining few footsteps between them and looked down on the caretaker. She smiled. Change it to favor us. He held her gaze for a moment. You're serious? Deadly. Twirling, she stepped away, dousing her lightsaber again. I know about you, Wilts. That's Hilts. You and your little workers here exist to dig up worthless trivia. Well, you're going to reveal that you've discovered the true testament, one declaring that Sela and those who follow her teachings today are the legitimate heirs to power on cash. One of Ileana's comrades produced a scroll and shoved it at Hilts. Unspooling it, he goggled. I don't think this will work. Oh, it will, the others are superstitious all invoking one figure from our history or another. They're in awe of our ancestors born on high and they're right to be. But they don't respect the one they should. She gestured to the parchment in Hiltz's hands. That'll change when you read that instead of the course in testament. The simpler-minded will believe it and follow me. That should be enough. Hiltz exhaled, barely stifling a laugh. He regarded the woman, so full of energy and cleverness, all spent to no avail whatsoever. No, of course she wouldn't know, he thought. She's too young. Ileana stared at him. What? I'm sorry, Hilt said, gesturing to the scroll. I admire your initiative, Ileana Mirko. But there's a reason no one's tried this before. You wouldn't know, unless you'd been here for a testament reading, or spoken with someone who was... What in blazes are you talking about? Slowly so as not to cause alarm, Hilt stepped to the right of the sandpipes and approached a covered pedestal. You see, I don't read Corsin's testament. The caretakers never do. Ileana watched, puzzled, as he returned with something wrapped in rich fabric. Then who reads it? Yaru Corsin does. Hilt pulled back the cloth, revealing a small pyramid-shaped object. A device in a city that had none. Chapter 2 This is amazing. It's not good, caretaker. I didn't say it was, Hiltz responded to his aid. But it's still amazing. As Kesha's sun cast its first rays onto the city, Hiltz and Jay looked down upon the palace grounds from the balcony. They'd never seen the city so alive. A writhing carpet of humans and Keshiri blanketed what had once been the Circle Eternal, with people setting up portable shelters for protection against volcanic rain. Celebrants began gathering the day after Ileana and her warriors had entered the palace, all staking locations in preparation for the festival of Nida's rise. None of the regular citizens would be allowed in for the testament reading, but it didn't seem to matter. This is a planet that needs a party, Hilt said. They want a leader. Jay responded. Dark eyes looked up at the caretaker. That's what I heard Ileana saying. All the humans hope some guidance will come from the Grand Lord's words. Hiltz chortled. Well, at least they'll be his words. He shot a glance back into the palace where Ileana and her companions stared in stupefaction at the ornate pyramid. They'll never even figure out how to turn it on. That much was true, Hiltz remembered. He had barely gotten the thing working during the last testament day. 25 years earlier. His predecessor had described it as a recording device, 
and had passed to him the ancient secret for activating it, but it had taken four tries for Hiltz to get it right on the appointed day. He wondered if something was wrong with it. Would it play this year? No matter. He had played the last four days pretty well, Hiltz thought. To buy time, he'd lied to Ileana that the device only activated on Testament Day. That hadn't stopped the arrogant woman from fiddling with it, to no avail, but the ploy had brought the relief he'd hoped for. Along with the revelers, Ileana's rivals had entered Tar far ahead of schedule, evidently attracted by their spies' reports that the sisters of Sela had taken the palace. Now, out there in the encampments flew the banners of the Corsonites, the Golden Destiny, Force 57, and countless other factions. Sela's vanguard had taken station outside the palace entrance, but it wasn't clear how long they could bar entry with their opponents' numbers growing. With eight days remaining before Testament Day, the blood enemies had held off on violence, instead using the mass public gathering as a chance to proselytize. Nida's rise had become a festival of blather. Looking for a leader in this bunch, Hilt said. May the dark side help us all. The conjunction. Jay said. Hiltz was afraid he was about to hear another round about Jay's theory, and what today really was, when the Keshiri sighed and looked directly at him. Caretaker, I'll never understand why you never challenged to rule the tribe. You're wiser in the ways of the ancient protectors than anyone. Too wise, Hiltz said, amused. These are the days of the flagrant fool, my friend. Knowledgeable men like us can't get far. But the tribe teaches that every free man or woman can grow up to become Grand Lord. Which is a fine thing for me to believe, Hilt said. But if you believe it, it isn't as fine. And if those fools out there believe it as well, he continued, gesturing to the crowd, it becomes a horrible thing. Your opportunity lies in my failure. He smirked. And what's this tribe teaches? No one agrees on what the tribe is even about anymore. The schooling system had been just another victim of the upheaval. Under Corsin and his successors, people had worked together. But as individuals increasingly sought shortcuts to soul power, Sith society, if it could be called that, had fallen apart. Hiltz clapped his hand on the young aide's shoulder. No, it's too late. Like Danellen, time has passed me by. I don't agree. Listen, Jay. When a man of advancing years tells you something is true, either believe him, or not politely, Hiltz said, stepping away from the railing. The last thing you want to do is shake his faith in his omniscience. Even if he's wrong? Especially if he's wrong. He turned to step back inside the palace. And speaking of fools? Inside, Ileana continued to pour at the little pyramid. Only two of her companions remained, the rest having departed to guard the entrance. If it's some kind of recording device, it must have a power source. Perhaps a lignin crystal. If you find out how it works, Hilt said, you'll be one for the historical records yourself. He crossed to an unthreatening position near the sandpipes. After locking his workers in another room, Ileana had kept the caretaker and his assistant in the immediate area, ready to answer questions. Hiltz wasn't going anywhere, anyway. The whole thing had become an amusing spectacle, and the players, fun to watch. He'd found Ileana a fetching woman, if completely venal and untrustworthy. Hiltz had never taken a mate, partially because of his dead-end station, but also because he knew that Sith didn't know how to share. He'd seen it in the histories time and again, all that envy and plotting, even within families. 
no wonder Yaru Korsin had decreed that the consorts of expired Grand Lords needed to be put to death. Poison had no place in the bedchamber. Not that Ileana knew it. Now, as she had once the day before, Ileana stepped toward him and looked into his eyes with sudden warmth. Caretaker, are you sure there's no way to see the recording now to alter it? Her gloved hand brushed gently against his arm. Gloyd's blood, girl. I'm twice your age, at least, Hilt said. He looked at her with incredulity. You are a sister of Sela. Glaring, she shrank back. And you're a festering old wart. That's more like it. Can we get down to facts now? Even if I wanted to, I wouldn't be able to doctor the message on here. And I don't want to. He turned away from her and gestured to the paintings on the atrium walls, depicting the arrival of the travelers from the skies. This gadget is our only functioning link to that past, to how we came to be. I wouldn't tamper with it if my life depended on it. How about someone else's? Hiltz heard the sharp hiss of Ileana's lightsaber being activated. Turning cautiously, he saw that her companions had taken Jay by the arms. Now, there's no need for that. I think there is. Start taking apart the device, caretaker. And while you do, we're going to take this Kashiri apart. There might be something of him left, if you work fast enough. Hiltz's eyes alternated between his writhing, panicked assistant and the gleaming widget. He didn't even know where to begin, but he had to do something. Reluctantly, he took the small pyramid in hand. And nearly dropped it when several figures crashed through the glass windows above. Plummeting into the atrium. Dressed in the ancient Uvac leather garb of the Skyborn Rangers, the new arrivals hit the marble surface behind Jay's captors and ignited their lightsabers. At the same time, several of Ileana's warriors from outside entered, retreating from the charge of a grizzler-looking mob of misanthropes. Her weapon already drawn, Ileana sprang to her ally's defense, releasing Jay, who dived for the floor near Hiltz's feet. Now, boy! Holding his aide's tunic in one hand and a recorder in the other, Hiltz tumbled toward the sandpipes, away from the fray. Behind them, crimson energy crackled, tearing into Sith flesh. There were two groups of assailants after Ileana, he realized. Recognizing who they were, Hiltz realized what he had to do. Human trash. Ileana screamed with fury as she locked lightsabers with a scarred behemoth of a woman. Traitorous wench. Yelled a bald mountain of male anger, one of the leather-armored arrivals from above. Clashing, the combatants seemed as interested in insulting their enemies as striking them. So much so that in between blows, they chanced to hear. Hey! Up here! Heads turned to the glass contraption towering near the north wall. The rumpled hilts clung to the maintenance ladder by the sandpipes, with a terrified Jay on the rungs just beneath. Holding the recording device in one hand, the caretaker swallowed hard and spoke. Factions of Kesh, invited guests, welcome. Um, you all early. Chapter 3 They just had to knock out the windows, Hiltz thought. Thirty years he'd spent trying to keep his portion of the Capitol building from falling apart. 
The warring oafs had just set him and his staff back another 30 years, provided he survived the afternoon. I have to say I'm surprised to see you all here, Hilt said, stepping over shards to the center of the room. The warriors had stepped back from one another but still held their lightsabers before them, leaving a wedge of space in between for him and Jay. It's eight days until Testament Day. But this is a palace. I guess we have some extra rooms here for you. Shut up, old man. The beefy black-haired woman with all the scars took a step forward and pointed at Ileana. We want to know why she's here. Hiltz looked to see Ileana and her companions, some blooded from the battle, backed up against the sand pipes, ready for their last stand Ileana's face flashed with defiance. Don't answer that cretin, Hiltz. Don't you raise your voice in this place, woman. The hulking bald man with a black mustache stepped forth from his leather-clad coterie and made an unkind gesture to Ileana. The house of Corsin was no place for Sela, and no place for you. Seeing the line of warriors behind Ileana poised to move, Hiltz quickly stepped between them and the giant. You, you Corsinite League, right? I am Corsin Bentadu. The shiny-headed man said, his deep voice thundering in the chamber. He gestured to either side. This is Corsin Vandos, and you know Corsin Imera from the Last Testament reading. We've come, caretaker, to celebrate the lives of Yaru and Nidar Corsin at this grand and celestial time. We hope that all is ready. Well, it will. And we hope that you can show the misled among us the truth of the testament. That the leader came from beyond, that the tribe is the body of the leader, and that those who would imperil the body deserve neither mercy nor life. Bentadu said. He gazed reverentially at the statue Ileana had once mocked and bowed his head. One becomes all, and all one. Corsin now, Corsin forever. Whatever you say, Hilt said. Turning, he shot a surreptitious look at Jay and shook his head. Hiltz knew these people well. A former slave had founded the Corsonite League a century earlier, taking Corsin as a title for himself, separate from the hierarchy of lords. Emancipated, he patterned his life after those led by the first Grand Lord and his successor daughter, as he declared, any worthy could aspire to Corsinness, just as he had. His followers took it to heart, and, being Sith, decided they could just as easily adopt the title for themselves. Which they all did, over the movement founder's complaints, and, eventually, his dead body. Now there were hundreds of self-named Corsins of either sex running about, chanting mantras and declaring their empires of one to the crowd at large. To strike up a conversation with a Corsonite was to risk death by cognitive dissonance. I still want to know why that, that woman has been allowed in here. The scar-faced female slapped a bare hand on Hiltz's shoulder and twirled him around. Hiltz realized with a start that the hand had only three webbed fingers. You're Force 57, I take it. Obviously. Her companions jostled behind her, growling ferally. The woman nearer was in fact the least gruesome of the bunch, Hiltz saw. No one knew much about the original 57, Sela Corsin had evidently taken steps to erase that faction's existence from memory. But the Keshiri tales spoke of those early Omen crew members as deformed in some way, the opposite of Sela as perfect human specimens. The modern Force 57 was far more than 57 in number, looking at Nira's allies, Hiltz wondered if every misshapen human living on Kesh had found his or her way into the ranks. They were easy to pick out when they ventured near the capital, even those least blemished by birth had dozens of self-inflicted scars. 
57, Hiltz imagined, although he had never had the opportunity or desire to count. Sila banished our kind, so she could have her blissful perfection. Nira yelled, gesturing to the walls. This place is disgusting. You see who's missing from these paintings, don't you? Where's Ravelin, the leader of the different ones? Why, they don't even bother to show Gloyd, the one the Corsons let live, like a pet. She spat on the marble. Your precious pantheon is missing members. You are, too. Ileana shot back. Sela was right to purge the defectives. And we're going to do it again. The sisters surged forward, only to be blocked by Hiltz. People, people. Looking back, Hiltz saw that his triangle of neutral ground had shrunk. This isn't the place for this. You're absolutely right, caretaker. Corson Bentadu said, tightening the fasteners on his lightsaber hand's glove. The defilers must pay the penalty. We will finish this battle here and now, and then outside, where the other factions are gathered. The blood will sanctify this place. The Corsonite League will be triumphant, and in eight days, we alone will hear Yaru Corson's blessings. Cowering near his master, Jay squeaked. But there are thousands of people out there. If that's how it has to be. It doesn't have to be this way. Hiltz yelled. Remembering the recording device, he raised it into the air. You're here for the reading. We could do it now. Ileana glared at him. You said it only activated on Testament Day. Hiltz looked back at her and shrugged. I'm Sith. I lied. The League will not accept a reading of the Testament on any day besides the anniversary. Bentadu said, golden eyes glaring under bushy black brows. Would you be branded a heretic, caretaker, like these others? The line began to move again behind him. Seeing the combatants surge forward, Hiltz felt Jay clinging tightly to him. In a flash he made a connection. Eight days. Jay? Your calculations? Pulling the Keshiri's head from his chest, Hiltz yelled urgently. Your calculations about the sandpipes. The aide looked up, tears of panic flowing freely. Now? But you said no one would be interested in. Now, Jay, he rasped. Tell them. Quaking in terror, the little Kashiri released his master and addressed the assemblage. Begging your lordship's pardons. We're not all lords, Kashiri. Jay nearly fell over at Nira's response. His humongous black eyes darted back to Hiltz, who mount urgently, say it. Begging your pardons, but when the protectors landed, they brought their standard calendar, which we Kashiri adopted, regardless of our different length of day and year. Another lightsaber ignited in the crowd. And we calibrated our sandpipes to your magical chrono, aboard Omen. When the mountain temple was sealed and Omen abandoned, bearers brought the sandpipes here still keeping time. Two more lightsabers, and more movement. But we found years ago that the sand didn't flow through the pipes at the same speed on the mainland as up on the mountain. Red energy shining in his face, Jay swallowed. It runs slower. Bentadu raised his weapon, and an eyebrow. How much slower? One second slower, your standard day is really a second shorter than what we've been using all this time. Nira and the 57s rumbled with impatience. 
What the blaze's difference does that make? Hiltz clenched his fists and looked at Jay. Tell them. Over 2,000 years? It makes eight days difference. Which means? Which means, Hiltz said, stepping beside his quivering aide, that by our founder's true timekeeping, testament day is today. And the festival of Nida's rise really begins today, as well. He looked to Ileana and lowered his voice. But Yaru's day is the important one. Bentadu stomped toward the pair and raged. This is preposterous. He grabbed Jay by the wrist. You're telling me this Keshiri fool counted all the seconds since practically when Omen landed? That must be 10 million. The word in your language is billion, and it's more than 60. Ileana stepped forward and lowered her lightsaber. He's telling the truth, I don't see any deception in him. Nor much of anything else. Bentadu looked back to his allies, who nodded in silence. Even the wretched 57s had paused. Hiltz looked at the Keshiri and marveled. Well done. Now shut up. The reading is on, Hiltz said. I declare the Pantheon's peace. Holding the recording device aloft, he looked from one of the faction leaders to another. Deactivate your weapons and call in any of your rival leaders from outside, he said. I can't tell you people how to run your affairs. Maybe Yaru Korsin can. Chapter 4 When we landed, we were few. Our survival was not guaranteed. The tribe, what we have become, was the necessary mechanism. Once we knew Kesh held no dangers for us, the only threat came from ourselves. The starship captain sat in his command chair, facing death, and, unbeknownst to him, several of his remote descendants, separated by time. The image of Yaru Korsin flickered in midair, casting eerie shadows through the darkened atrium. It was neither the robust Korsin of the later paintings nor the bug-eyed deity of the Keshiri sculpture who appeared, it was simply a man. A spent warrior king, clutching his chest and speaking his last. And just as I had you trained in secret, Nida, there are secrets you must always keep. The true power is behind the throne. Should disaster befall, remember that. Platitudes passed from a ruler to his child, both long dead. Hiltz had studied the words for so many years, they had lost their magic for him. True, that first sight long ago of Yaru Korsin, animated, had excited his imagination. But this time was different. Standing behind the device and its projection, he found himself looking not at the ancient figure, but through him, at the gathered listeners. The atrium had been cleared of dead bodies and living warriors that afternoon, now, as darkness fell, only the faction leaders remained, including a dozen-plus brought in from outside. Hilt searched from face to face. Some had that same look of wonder he'd once had, humility was a new concept for most Sith. Others seemed untouched. Hiltz focused again on Corsin. He'd been dying when he recorded this, bleeding in the seat that had once been the captain's chair from Omen, he'd hurriedly recorded a message to his daughter who was busy finishing off the rebels elsewhere on the mountain. Between coughs, the spectral Corsin spoke of the tribe's hierarchy and how the structure should be managed to prevent uprisings like the one that ultimately killed him. He'd just spoken the segment about killing dead Grand Lord spouses and banishing Sela, Hiltz could still feel the rage coming from Ileana. That should hold the tribe for the long term, but you will want to begin bringing your own people in at the Lord level. I have a few suggestions, depending on who survives. 
This is the boring part. Ileana snapped. Hiltz looked to his shoes. She was right. For all the regard placed on the document, he knew it included a lot of logistical detail. Several of the leaders paid rapt attention, listening to Corsin speak of their adopted intellectual forebears, but for the others it was tedium. Looking at the restive members, Hiltz wondered about his next move. He was alone now, Jay had been kicked outside along with his fellow workers before the reading began. That was good for them, for the moment. But the Pantheon's piece would conclude when the recording did, and it didn't look like the words were leading any toward a settlement. How could he stay alive, much less protect his staff and position, if this solved nothing? Never mind the tribe's future, Hiltz thought. What about mine? After several minutes, Corsin's speech slowed. The mortal mune taking its toll, the words turned personal. Hiltz looked up again, newly fascinated by the momentary connection with a man 2,000 years old. Nida, my daughter, you're more than the only good thing to come from Sela. You're the future of the Sith on this planet. It wasn't our choice to live here. But it is our choice not to die here. That choice will be made by you. Corsin slumped in his chair. The image froze. Is that all? Ileana said. Hiltz looked at her, unsurprised that she'd won the race to speak first. That's all. He stepped to the recording device. It's enough. Corsin Bentadu said reverently. You've just heard a great leader say it. There can only be one power structure, the one he invented. The one my people will represent. No compromise. You're wrong. Came another voice. Hilt saw it belonged to the leader of the Golden Destiny, a group obsessed with the stellar aspects of the tribe's origin. I heard a great conqueror describe a powerful people. We didn't even intend to come here, yet we subdued this world instantly. Every human in the galaxy likely has his own planetary kingdom. We must stop fighting, reopen the temple, and return to the stars. Hilt shook his head as the quarrels began anew. There were no lightsabers, yet, the leaders were too busy telling one another what they had just all heard. But it was only a matter of time. He absently fiddled with the recorder. He'd gotten it started more easily this time, but for some reason it wasn't deactivating properly. Static appeared, and then something else. Fleeting images interlaced with the scene of the expired Grand Lord. There's something here, Hiltz said, adjusting the device. Underneath. A palimpsest. He'd heard Keshiri artists speak of the concept. Occasionally, a second work was painted over an earlier version, using the same canvas. The concept had no meaning in sculpture, and wasn't the projected image a living sculpture? But still, something was there. Maybe when Corsin used the device to record his message, there had already been another one on it. He rattled the few controls he understood again. And a monster appeared. This is your lead, Nogasado, speaking to the Captain Yaru Corsin. The leaders turned instantly from their arguments on hearing the gravelly voice. It belonged to something not entirely human, clad in the robes of a Sith ruler. Sado's face had a reddish cast, terminating in two pointed tentacles that writhed when he spoke. Veins bulged from his bald cranium like mountain ranges. And as he spoke, he gestured with hands, such hands, tipped with talons a Uvac might have. 
Nearer of Force 57 spoke first. What is that thing? Alongside Saz and the Harbinger, you are decreed to deliver the mining team belonging to your sibling, Devor, to Fegan. You will obtain lignin crystals from my cause and return to Kirik. Hilt had to rub his eyes. The language was theirs, if heavily accented. But what was speaking it? Aside from the Keshiri, there was no record of there being any other sentient species in the universe. And certainly not one that gave orders to humans. For this mission, I dispatched to you one you have worked with before, Ravelin Roth, and his Masasi warriors. The image changed, and if the visit of Noga Sado startled the viewers, the appearance of the one called Ravelin and his escort evoked audible gasps. His skin fully crimson, Ravelin looked even less human than Sado, with protruding eyebrow stalks to go along with even longer facial tendrils. And the lumbering blood-colored monstrosities standing behind Ravelin were grotesque beyond description. The image flickered, and Noga Sado reappeared. I have sent for your brother, Devor, to inform him that you will be in charge. But remember that you are all subject to my law and whim. You may have more freedom of action than other Sith allow their slaves, but the greatest thing your kind can aspire to is competence in my service. And that is what I demand of you. Your work will create my glory. Begin your preparations. Succeed in my name. Fail me, and die. The image vanished, leaving the atrium in near darkness. Starlight filtered in through the broken windows above. Finally, Ileana spoke. What was that? A message, Hilt said, cautiously fingering the device. An earlier message. I think that Corsin recorded over it, that we weren't supposed to see it. The gadget had been testy in recent activations. Maybe it had finally failed to do what Corsin intended. He exhaled and looked up to the skylights. I think that was, as he said, Nogasado. The crowd erupted in disbelief, voiced loudest by Corsin Bentadu. Nogasado is just a name from folktales, Corsin's celestial ally. That, that thing acted like it owned the omen. And the crew. They weren't conquerors. They were diggers in the dirt. And the great Yaru Corsin was just a delivery boy. The gruesome outcasts of Force 57 seemed the most horrified of all, having seen the true face of Ravelin and his outcasts. This, this is not Sith. Nira said, almost in a whisper. This is madness. Hilts were speechless. All the little mysteries from their history and all the redacted sections of text suddenly made sense, if this could be called sense. Yaru Korsin and the entire founding pantheon had been slaves, to that thing? No wonder Sela Korsin wanted us all to be pure specimens. Ileana said, standing before the others. She was sanctifying the race. Korsin Bentadu was pacing. No, it can't be. It can't be. He glared at Hiltz. You. Caretaker. The sisters got to you earlier. Did you tamper with that? I wouldn't know where to begin, Hilt said. He lifted the projector from the floor and placed it back on its pedestal. Then, what does this mean? It means we're not just the tribe, Hilt said. We're a lost tribe. He nearly spat the adjective. It was nothing to be proud of. 
We're missing. We didn't come on our own, we were sent, and not sent here. But once we crashed, Coulson stayed, because he didn't want to go back and face that. The murmurs grew louder. Who would blame Coulson? But that made them all something terrible indeed. Runaway slaves. In a flash, Ileana ignited her lightsaber and lunged. Hilt stumbled, certain she was coming for him. Instead, a weapon found its home in the recording device, bisecting it and the pedestal it sat upon. Hilt's fumbled toward the sparking halves of the gadget. What did you do that for? We can't let anyone know. Ileana said to the others, her voice grave. They never wanted us to know. Sela must have forbidden any records of what Ravelin's people really were. It's why Corson recorded over the message. We have to keep this secret. Hiltz looked up at her. I don't see how. We can't ever let the Kashiri know. Corson Bentadu said, the stoic giant now Jay's equal for nervousness. If they find out their protectors could be ruled by creatures like that. They won't. Nira hissed. I'll kill them all first. That won't be necessary. Ileana said, grinding the fragments of the recorder with her boot. It's done. Hiltz looked at the remains. It was. It had gone predictably wrong. Twenty Sith couldn't share a secret, not even for their own protection. Someone had told the tale. Perhaps one of the attendees, anguished and full of drink, had revealed all about the lost tribe's origins. Certainly, many of the leader's comrades would have been anxious for news about what had transpired during the reading. And there, camped outside, were humans from all over Kesh, celebrating the festival of Nidal's rise. Humans with Uvac, ready to fly and deliver the dire news. They weren't special. The result was swiftly seen. The cities of Kesh had been crumbling. Now they burned. All of them, from what little word had come in from the rest of the continent. Today was the regularly scheduled testament day. It had only taken eight days for the cancerous truth to reach every place humans lived. They weren't anything. Hilts peered out onto the nighttime streets from Jay's hijabo shoot hut. The dwelling had survived the first firestorm, but the arsonists were in motion again, and it likely wouldn't be around for long. Everywhere, Keshiri watched from hiding, both fearing for their lives and fascinated by the convulsions their masters were putting themselves through. Anger flowed freely as an entire race tried to commit suicide. They didn't deserve to be anything. This is the end of times, Master Hiltz. Jay said, huddling beside him in the doorway. The frightened Keshiri looked up at the cloud of crazed Yuvak, circling the flames. Hiltz simply nodded. He told his aide about the contents of the recording. It didn't really matter, now. The human population of Kesh was already down to a few thousand from all the infighting. How many could be left? He hadn't seen any of the faction leaders since the riots broke out, not even Ileana, who'd seemed confident the danger was past. How wrong she was. It wouldn't be long now. And yet, Corsin had said something else. The true power is behind the throne, he had said. It was a strange statement. Hiltz had heard of a Keshiri idiom where that referred to the contributions of a spouse. But the husband of Sela couldn't mean that. He'd met Ileana, a spiritual descendant. 
Hiltz wouldn't have trusted her not to rob his corpse. No Sith trusted a lover, least of all one like Sela. Hiltz stood in the doorway. Caretaker, the rioters will see you. The grey-haired human paid no mind, looking, instead, up toward the palace. They'd evacuated when the mob turned ugly. But it wasn't what was there that was on his mind now. It was what had never been there. A throne. Kate billowing behind him, Hiltz bolted into the street. Alarmed, Jay followed, careful not to step on, or look at, any of his dead neighbors. Caretaker, what is it? It's the throne, Jay. The throne. The Keshiri knew the term. Elders in the Neshtavai used to fashion them for themselves. But Corsin had no throne. Not in the palace, my boy. Look. Grabbing his aide's shoulders, he pointed the Keshiri to the west, and the cloud-enshrouded peaks of the Tokora Mountains. Suddenly rejuvenated, Hiltz recited the lines he'd memorized decades earlier. There are secrets you must always keep. The true power is behind the throne. Should disaster befall, remember that. Squinting through the smoke, he looked at the forbidden place. Corsin's throne was his seat from Omen, and that's up there. I, I don't understand. Jay stammered. We weren't meant to see the message from Sado, but that's not Yaru Corsin's legacy. There's something else, something he mentioned in the testament. Something that might save the tribe from itself. Hiltz breathed deeply, as excited as he had been in years. For his entire life, he thought he'd known all the history there was, all that Corsin had to say. Could he really have left a postscript? There's only one thing to do, Hiltz said, cinching up his cape and walking confidently into the chaos. We're going to unseal the temple. We're going aboard Omen. 